Hey, hope you're well, and welcome to Why Play Music. I'm your host, Steve Burke. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. My guests and I will perform a piece of music, chat about why we play music, then we perform another piece, chat some more, and then finally wrap up the show with one final piece of music. Today's guest is J.M. Clifford. J.M. is a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and a music educator from Brooklyn, New York. In addition to being a wonderful musician, J.M. is also a thoughtful and passionate thinker. We share a lot in common, from our love of bluegrass music, specifically the music of Norman Blake and Tony Rice, our love of the written word, and an interest in meditation. We get into all of these topics and much more in this week's episode of Why Play Music. The first piece we perform is called On My Mind, and it was written by J.M. Clifford. The second piece is called Damn Shame, from J.M.'s newest release, On a Saturday Night. Finally, we close the show with a classic fiddle tune called Whiskey Before Breakfast. Uh, quick note, J.M. is the stage name of Mike Clifford. Throughout the episode, you'll hear me refer to my guest as Mike, but you can find his music throughout the internet under the name J.M. Clifford. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with J.M. Clifford. Complicated, something sweet and kind with this simple refrain. You've been on my mind. One day I'm gonna leave this city far behind. One day I'm gonna leave. City far behind. Oh, the whiskey don't help me now.
Clifford, thanks for being on the show. Heck yeah, man. So one of the ways I like to start this show is, uh, of course, by playing a tune, which we just heard a tune. Could you tell us the name of the name of that tune? Yeah, that's a new one. It's called On My Mind. Cool. On My Mind. So played a tune, and the idea of this podcast is to sort of get to the root of why we do what you just did. You know, you wrote a tune. You wrote a new tune. Something calls you to write these tunes, and... Uh, that's sort of what we're kind of going to get at here in this podcast. So I guess maybe just start, could you just kind of explain what it is that you do? You know, we know that you're a songwriter. We know that you're a great guitar player and singer. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what your life is like, what a, what a, what a day in the life is like for Mike Clifford? Miserable. Um, I'm a music educator. I'm a music teacher. I teach pre-K, fifth grade music in Bushwick. And that's my day job, um, and I really love it, and uh, find it endlessly interesting. I'm almost never bored, and always challenged. And uh, it's kind of weird. A lot of people in the teaching careers, you know, I feel like there's a trajectory where you like start really enthusiastic, and then you like gradually burn out. Um, I've definitely like felt some some burnout in different times of my career, but I feel like the trajectory is sort of the opposite, where I was like sort of interested when I started. And, like, the longer I get into it, the more interested I am in trying to do it well, Mm. Um, which has been, I'm lucky. I'm I'm lucky to do something that I love, you know. Yeah, a lot of musicians find that teaching path. And for a lot of musicians, it's it's a great gig. For other musicians, it's something that they're really called to do. You know, we were really inspired by our music teachers. I'm sure you had, we'll get to it, but I'm sure you had inspirational people in your life uh, coming up teaching you music and... um, it's quite a privilege, I think, to be in the position to be able to share what we do with with kids and to share it in the right way. Yeah. You know, man. to share it in, in the way that we know. You know, we know how good it can be. We know how, how inspiring it can be. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? Was teaching a part of your life before um, pursuing music professionally? Right. Um, I went to, to NYU, and uh, NYU I started to... Um, I got like a little, I don't know if it was a grant or what you would call it, but like a stipend. So like I, like uh, they let me teach in like literacy, um, not teach, but like be a, like a teaching assistant um, in like an inner city school um, for, ca- you know, just, just like for a little bit of extra income. I started doing that my junior year of college. And uh, that's when I started to get interested in it. Um, I thought, I mean, I, I enjoyed working with kids. I enjoyed teaching literacy. Um and I enjoyed, like, you know, work, working in neighborhoods that, like, supposedly were, were tough. And I just thought, like, this is, you know, I'm, I, know I, I thought it'd be, like, a natural fit for it. Um, so I ended up doing a program called the Teaching Fellows. Because I, I didn't study education in college. I studied okay. 
English philosophy and, and music. Um, so I went to this program called the Teaching Fellows, where they pretty much like give you a job teaching right away, and then you go at night and you like get your master's degree and study like pedagogy. And I thought like this whole approach would be easy because I'd done like this work already um, as a like a literacy assistant, but like actually like teaching first grade my first year at the age of 22, man, like it almost killed me. It was mm. the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, here, real quick, just mm -hmm. scooch up on that mic just a little mm -hmm. bit if you don't mind. You can you can pull it towards you if you're rolling away a little bit. Like uh, great. Mm -hmm. So, so it was kind of killing you in that you know your expectations were one thing. Like teaching can be so difficult. I know teaching music myself. Um, you would love to do a great job, and you're not always able to do a great job with every yeah. student. Is it? Is it? Was it that? Was it that the kids were especially difficult? Like, what? What exactly was so? Difficult I think it was. Me? I think I was young. I think I didn't have a lot of life experience. I think I thought I knew what I was doing, um, and I didn't. And uh, the kids were. I mean, I had, yeah, I had kids who were coming from just a lot of, you know, temporary housing, bringing a whole host of social and emotional issues to the table, for which I had no capacity no experience, no background to deal with. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's why a lot of people, you know, frankly, like, don't make it through the program because, like, I think they come in with a mindset and they're like, I'm going to, like, change the world and then, like, the world just, like, kicks them in the ass. Um, so, like, ultimately, I got, like, I got my sea legs. I started to figure out how to, like, work with these kids and how to, like, kind of turn things around. Um, and, but, like, by the end of my second year, I, I was, like, in a groove, um, and like, I, I love, I loved that work. I loved like teaching first grade, like, you know, like for the first eight years of my career, that's what I did. Um, once I started to like figure out how to, <laughs> how to, how to work with these kids and make it happen, then my principal said like, listen, we want another music teacher. And I just thought like, oh gosh, this is a very natural, you know. Could we talk a little bit about that transition? So could you take us back a little bit to the beginnings of you playing music? So mm -hmm. you mentioned that you went to NYU mm -hmm. and you studied philosophy and music. Did in something else? Sorry. Uh, English. In English, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, you know, you're studying English, philosophy and music in, in your undergrad. Then you're doing this teaching program. But you were doing music prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. So could yeah. you tell us a little bit about how you got started in music? Oh, man. Yeah. Like, I heard Guns N' Roses, you know, when I was seven. And I was like, let's freaking do this, man. Um, fourth grade, um, I saw a kid playing drums. I was like, that's got to be my life. I got to do that. Got to do that. So I just became obsessed with drumming um, after, like, watching, like, an older kid play really well. Um, and my parents were into it because I was such like a kind of a weird, a weird kid with ADD and I had like no socialization uh, skills. I was just like kind of like an isolated kid, but like I had this real interest and this passion. And like ultimately it ended up being that like I was the drummer and like in a band and the friends would come over and play in the basement. And like that became like my whole social life and like just kind of like oriented me completely, you know. That's, I, I feel like that's a story with a lot of musicians, you mm -hmm. know, like you, maybe can't speak for you, but for me personally, wasn't good at sports. Yeah. You know, a lot of my friends who end up in music, like you just weren't good at the other things that you're pushed into a little bit earlier. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe you go through a period where you don't really know who you are and then somehow music comes into your life. And it sounds like for you, when music came into your life, something kind of clicked and you for sort of sure. figured out, yeah. figured out number one, something that you were pretty good at, but also something that you could, 
do to keep yourself busy. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think those two things. Yeah, and yeah, just like connect connect me to other people for the first time, really. Um, yeah, it became it became you know like just the the defining factor in my life, and then and then I started you know in fifth grade started writing writing songs, and, right? you know, yeah, you know, um, and just. I mean, my dad always, like, he was, like, a, an English you know, literature guy, so there was always, like, that kind of, you know, like, wordplay going on in the house and just, like, rhyme rhymes all the time and just, like, puns and that sort of thing. So, like, the step to, like, writing, like, you know, like a lot of, like, goofy songs, but, like, songs with, like, you know, meter and rhyme schemes and then, like, you know, discovering, like, out of keyboards and so, like, taught myself some chords and just started making sense of, like the beginning steps of that um yeah you know so like then it, then it became from drums it became like any instrument that i was around you know and like let's make it a song you know mm. and that's that's sort of where it went so you became really passionate about songwriting mm -hmm. then as a pretty young person yeah wow. i think it was like you know it was drums initially but then it was like what like whatever i can use as a vehicle to like create the song yeah what is it about songwriting? You know, a lot of people find themselves drawn to music. They want to play. They want to practice. Not everyone's drawn to songwriting in particular. You yeah. Know, you, you mentioned your dad is a, a literary person. And, yeah. And um, was there, was was there music in your house growing up? Were the were they passionate about songwriters? In the yeah. House? You know, it's interesting. My dad was really into like and uh, like old Irish music and mm -hmm. like, you know, Irish traditional, but like a lot of like, uh, like sentimental Irish music, like in sentiment, like old country music, um, old jazz standards and stuff like that. Like a lot of opera. Um, not, not so much like, you know, he, like he didn't, he wasn't the guy who introduced me to the Beatles or like James Taylor, you know, I found that stuff out elsewhere, but for him it was like a lot of that old, you know, like, Cla classical and like um in the sense that it's been it's been around and it's endured like that kind of music mm, traditional uh, music yeah ballads, yeah like that. that's right yeah um and an appreciation for that stuff and you know ever since i was yeah itty bitty i always appreciated like good good music i you know not necessarily what was like popping or you know happening at the time but like you know if it was Pavarotti, i was into it you know one thing i always find interesting to ask is um you know, was there a, was there an early moment where you felt you know proud of something that you were doing in music? Like, what was the first instance that you can remember feeling proud? Oh man, something you made or something you did? Yeah, um, I remember. I'm just like just thinking back. Um, yeah, like I had a friend. He played drums. I played drums. Like I played keyboards. He, play, you know, so we were like became like a songwriting team. I, I think like I remember like our first. Oh yes, it was our first song. We completed it, and like played played. It, yeah, it was the first. It was called "Yesterday My Girlfriend Died." Fifth grade. Yeah, man. It was like very like Guns N' Roses esque. <clears throat> um, and it, I I don't know. I just was like, oh my, uh, this is, yo man, like this is our song. You know, this is this is this is our jam. Never had a girlfriend. Never even came close to having a girlfriend. Didn't know anyone who died. <laughs> it was really it's quite a profound piece of music. And so you were in fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow, I can't believe I remember that. That's deep. So did you did you do any organized music programs in school? Yeah, did you like, do like yeah, band, band concert yeah. band, that thing. But I, yeah, snare drum, you know. Um, yeah, that sort of thing for sure. Marching band in high school. Yeah, that whole universe. Did you? Um, were you playing guitar at that point, or were you just playing drums? 
drums, and then, you know, yeah, like, by eighth grade, you know, I would, like, drum, I'd pick up the bass, but, like, drums, I had, like, like, older kids coming over to play, like, my mom was all sussing them out and making sure they weren't smoking weed, and, like, you know, a few of them, a few of them got through. Um, I remember this one guy, Dan Hall, who totally was, like, sorry, Dan, um, <clears throat> definitely uh imbibing but uh he left his guitar at my place um he like taught me four chords and uh left his guitar i think he i think it's probably still in that basement like he left it and i just remember like sitting there for hours playing like whatever nirvana song it was he showed me um and that was like the good then then the guitar became like the thing you know because it was like oh chords here you know let's do this and so you got really into into the guitar around yeah there. Yeah, and, and were you 13, still playing 14. drums? Yeah, after that, you were yeah. just kind of playing multiple instruments. It's ja- like. jack of jack of all trades. Wow. Kind of, yeah, I never really like got super stellar at any one thing, but like I just I got a four track, and that was really the thing. I was like, okay, now I've got a four track, and I can do all this stuff, and I can be my I don't need none of y'all, you know. I can, <laughs> and I would just yeah get lost in creating arrangements for like you know whatever I could put on there for your own songs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you were writing music all through high school. This, yeah. This sounds like it was a pretty big passion of yours that as was a young it. person. That music was, it. was your thing. For sure. So after you finished high school, it sounds like a natural tra- trajectory would to be would be to go into music. Mm-hmm. But you had this other interest in philosophy you and know, English. Here, the, the truth is, I applied to a bunch of colleges, like sort of some for music, for NYU. My mom told me, and I, I can't believe this is true, but apparently, like, I meant to apply to the School of Education that had a music program, um, and I ended up applying by mistake. Somehow, somehow, I mistakenly applied to the College of Arts and Science, which did not have, like, the primary music program, and NYU ended up offering me the best deal. And my mom had said to me, you know, when I was contemplating, I was like, this, I, I thought I was going to, like, you know, do music. And she's like, don't you think you need to learn how to think? think before you know you want to write songs like you know shouldn't you shouldn't you learn how to think before you do that you know and I thought oh that's very clever um and that was actually a big impetus for me like diving deep into like philosophy and English and just really trying to like develop my mind you know was there a specialty or an area of interest that you were pursuing with philosophy is there oh, a type no, of philosophy definitely not it general just, yeah it was just like you know get me to, and and you know truth be told yeah like truth be told that education like didn't leave me with a great knowledge of of philosophy <laughs> what it, what it did do was it definitely like trained me um to be a more concise thinker i think um yeah i don't i don't retain stuff too good but what i do like kind of like what i what i definitely took away from it was like like write, writing chops you know just like being very very clear with what you're trying to say in constructing an argument I think that really comes through in your songwriting. I mean, to to give people a little bit of a background, I met you just a few months ago, and that's right. Right after I, I, I I'm sorry, I met you just after you had released this record mm-hmm. on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful record, and it has some of the best bluegrass musicians in New York. I mean, when yes. I heard it, I just I, I was blown over. Thank you, man. And the songwriting is just so clear. You talk about clear writing and concise. It's just beautiful. So. Did you do you feel that that voice really came about after college? Did it come about in the last five ten years? You know, t- tell me a little bit about your your journey as a songwriter. You know, like 
did you always feel this confident about your songwriting? Do you feel confident about your songwriting now? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, maybe, and I'm wondering if that's like a, like a virtue I got from like what I studied in college, like always trying to get to the point um, and be, be clear. I don't know if I always achieve it, but I feel like that's like a, that maybe is like a through line that I'm thinking back through like, just like the first record I put out at, at, at 26. Um, I, you know, and, and, and not just lyrically, but I feel like, like form wise, I try not to have anything extraneous. Like I, I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I like things to be like, you know, fit and, you know, uh, just like as, as tight as possible. Um, in terms of like, like songwriting, I mean, my first record was like a very like R and B and folk influenced record. Um, very, very different from the one that I just put out. Um, my voice has changed. It's definitely gotten deeper. Um, my lyrical sensibilities. Well, this last record in terms of like themes, topics, deals with like a lot, you know, I've, I've like a lot of life experiences have hit me and like, it just like narrows in, you know, on, on those experiences for sure. When I was 26, I didn't have, fortunately for me, those kinds of experiences, you know? Um, and I'd like to think that I'm like, I don't know, maybe a better artist now, I suppose, maybe more apt to handle that stuff. I don't know. What does that, what does that mean for you to be a better artist? Um, I guess, a, a better like a better craftsman um an artist who like doesn't let the song um or or doesn't like let like a lack of skill like dictate what the song does but like lets the song sort of be the guide um does this song for example i'm just thinking like does the song need a bridge because like i only know how to write songs with bridges or does the song like require a bridge because that's what it's asking for i feel like like a seasoned songwriter, like is is presented with like millions of questions like that, and you can rely on, um, I don't know, like your abilities, like your intuitions to like figure out what needs to come next, or like maybe you just kind of like lean on like prior, prior like experiences, um, and. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, I think I'm with you. So, yeah. you know, there's this there's this feeling as you're writing a, a piece of music, you know, as you say, I typically write songs with bridges, so yeah. this song needs a bridge, but maybe that's sort of a deceptive thing. Like, is the song really calling for the bridge? Right. Or is there something about me, something in me, or my insecurities, or my right. tendencies, my habits about song? Like, my writing? lack of imagination, like, yeah. in this context, you know? It's like, do I, you know... Or, yeah, do I have, like, the... Um, like I, I've been really trying. Uh, I tried on this record, um, and I think I think it failed to a degree. But now, like now that I'm I'm, I'm writing past that, actually, actually the, the song that we just played is an interesting example on my mind. It's like I have been trying to write the simplest kinds of songs that I can I can muster, um, and that song, if you if you look at it, it's like it started with a twelve bar blues. It was like cool because uh, that's about the simplest form that you could think of, right? And then. I was like, but what if like a six chord happened? Like, what if we go to a minor chord here just to like change the flavor a little bit? Okay, cool. I like that. Uh, and what if we like make the timing a little bit weird so it isn't exactly like, you know, rigid. All right, cool. And it, it, it's like, 
it's an interesting push and pull for me because like my initial goal was simplicity and like what I start to do is add layers of complexity. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but I just, it's something that I notice. It's like for, for me, like maybe my, my talent or like my, or maybe the song wasn't like asking for like simplicity. Maybe it needed like that introduction. Maybe it needed like a little bit of a reprieve here and like a, you know, um, and I allowed that to happen, even though like my goal, my initial intention was like simple as all heck, you know? And I think that is like, in my own experience, like the process of maturing as an artist is kind of trusting yourself, Yeah, you know, perhaps in the past when you start adding complexity to a song, you know, you're a little bit gun shy of doing it now because perhaps it's coming from a place of, well, I need to sound like a serious artist yeah that's right right i think yeah. a lot of musicians have that experience of like you you want to be accepted you want to yeah. sound a certain way so that everyone knows that you you can really do it i can do that thing yeah. yeah i know how to use this like weirdo chord progression you know but then doesn't it happen too that once you can do that thing you're no longer so concerned about whether people think you can do it or not but there's still that voice saying that you still have to keep in check of like are you know are you just complicating this because you think that you're some sort of artist who makes sophisticated music, right. or are you complicating it because the song calls for that's it? That's right. That's right. I think that's you know one of the marks of a really mature artist. Um, and uh, I worked with a, a fellow who helped me produce this last record. Uh, his name's Ron Ron Pope, and um, he's a really successful songwriter. And he is a real master of like simplicity. Um, simplicity of form, clarity of form, clarity of like chord progressions. Um, he doesn't allow, like allow himself to like really uh, like venture into anything, um, that might make your ear go, mm, you know, which I really, really respect because I mean, t to me, I feel like sometimes I'm definitely pulled in the direction of like, wouldn't it be cool if, but like the whole, like, wouldn't it be cool if it is not necessarily like that? Wouldn't it sound good if, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there's, mm -hmm. Um, and he kind of like tempered, tempered some of that for me, but I'm, I'm like, my tastes are different than him. Like I'm definitely, I have like, I've studied more stuff. Like I know more funky chords and sometimes like, wouldn't it be cool if is also, wouldn't it sound good if, you know? So, um, I just, just knowing when that's the case is interesting. You know, I think that's part of like being a more mature artist. I hope. Yeah. What do you think is the ultimate purpose of writing a song? Word. Um, for you, money. Um, oh, it's gotta, it's gotta be. Oh, that's so. I mean, that's such a tough one. I mean, I think that there's, there's multiple purposes. Um, I, um, like I was, I'm, I'm working on a song. I started a song yesterday, and I feel like, you know, like I've got like a draft of it today. Um, like, what's the purpose of writing that song? Um, like communication. Uh, I think that that's a really big one. Um, I like I could imagine like maybe like connection, connecting, um, offering someone like a window into like my emotional world, perhaps like that, like giving them some like peace and comfort. Um, I don't know, like on a personal level, like as an intellectual endeavor, like um, keeping my mind sharp, like like being being like in the creative process for its own self, um, has, I think like its own like intrinsic value. Um, 
So I guess that's like a, there's a couple of <laughs> couple of things at play there, you know. Yeah, I guess it's sort of a broad question because it's yeah. not clear whether the question is, what is the purpose of a song, in music? You know, what is yeah. the purpose of music, or what is the purpose of you writing a song? And yeah. I guess these are two two sides of the question that you were sort of getting at. So yeah. maybe maybe we could just break it apart a little bit. So for you as a songwriter, you talked about the intrinsic value mm -hmm. or the value of sitting down and writing a song yeah. for you. Is there part of the process, is the audience part of the process when you're like pulling out that intrinsic value? In other words, would is there value in writing a song that nobody would hear? That, yeah, you know, I, I've thought, of, that's a great question. I really, I've thought about it. Um, and it's like, if no one were to hear it, I don't think I would do it. So then I've been, then like, you know, communication of some kind has to be at the heart of it, um, for sure. Um, although I, I do think that they're like, you know, most of the songs that I write, like, don't really get, you know, I, I don't really put out into the universe. Like a lot of them I write um, and I finish, even if I know it's not going to be a song that I'm going to perform <laughs> or record. Um, I mean, part of it is like just to finish finish the ex the exercise you know and also i, I could come at this from a, a bunch of different ways but for me like finishing a song and that i know is never gonna like see the light of day is never a waste because like just today i used a line that i went back into my phone the notes in my phone i wrote in 2016 and i like i'm like yoink you know that that line from that like discarded song is like found a new home so i feel like nothing is ever um wasted um in that sense. Um, but like the song that I'm writing today, like in terms of the idea of connection, like I feel like there might be like value, like utility. Someone might use like what I'm, what I'm creating to help them like, like soothe like a crying child. Like it's, it's a lullaby. Like there might be like an, you know, an actual like use for this. Um, when wouldn't that be like a wonderful gift to give someone? Um, it would make, fill my heart with joy to know that like someone found some utility in what I was doing, you know. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Joni Mitchell. Yeah. She talks about, um, in an interview, uh, a fan coming up to her and saying, oh my God, I feel like I know you so well. I, I'm such a fan of your music. I just feel like I know you so intimately. I feel like I know everything about you. And Joni saying, you know, just being upset by that comment. She said, you know, there's, that's not why I write it. I, you know, if I, if that's true, then I've failed. Like, mm. I don't want you to know anything about me. The goal is for you to know something about yourself. Heck yeah. And, and if I'm succeeding, it's, and I'm paraphrasing of course, yeah. but if I'm, you know, if I'm succeeding, it's because I'm showing you something about yourself. She said, I don't care if people know about me as a person. What I care about is, as you say, is it useful? Is it, can it be applied to your own life? It's not, in other words, it's not something that's self-indulgent, but that's the fine line as an artist yeah, because yeah. you have to believe in the value of what you're doing, which means that in some level you have to believe that you have something worthwhile to say right? in order for it to be useful to other people. That, that, yeah, that, that's right. Exactly. And there's like sort of an arrogance there in a way. It's just like, you know, what I got, you know, what I got to share with you is important, man, you know, um, in the case of Joni Mitchell, she was absolutely correct. Um, but that that's interesting, um, uh, you know, because I do feel like there are there are songs that are written that like do tell you the listener something about me. I understand what she's saying, but I feel like it depends on what kind of writer you are. Um, 
uh, and I like I do like I've written like on this last record some like very like personal autobiographical stuff. Um, so now you know something about me. You know about the night that I went out and like you know did a bunch of drugs and felt like an asshole. Um, but like, I guess like my hope would be like, have you had a night like that? Do you know how that feels? Now you know that someone knows how you know someone else knows how that feels. Like we've both felt this. You know, like there th- there's the value. You know. Um, that there's value in the honesty of it. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, and like, yeah, you know, and, and I don't mind that people know. Um, and like when I was on stage the other night, um, like I was just like talking about um, a, a song off the new record and just like kind of like telling some personal details around the song. Um, and I, and I, and I understand like the, like the philosophy, the idea of like, let like the, you know, like a, let a person like, sink themselves into your song and find their own world. And I, and I really appreciate that. Um, but I also appreciate like an artist being like kind of open and like honest and vulnerable about like where they're coming from and like what they put into it too. That's interesting. You know, um, something to think about. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I certainly agree. And I think a huge part, personally, I think that a big part of consuming music or like really getting into an artist. One part of it is the music itself, but we're just so blasted with so many different artists, so many different songs. We have endless music. That what I found is that the way in is actually when I kind of know somebody's story. So yeah, it, man. You know, in yeah. your case, I am now familiar with your story, and that music takes on a whole new light. And and yeah. maybe I could hear some of that story and just listening to it, but you sharing a bit about your life at a concert and then playing a song that gives context to that story. And yeah. it's all telling one story. It pulls people in. I, I know like after the show, like a bunch of folks came up to me and just said like, you know, in, in particular, like one story that I told, you know, they, they just like, like, I know what you mean. You know, like I've been there, like this is my background, you know, like it was just, you know, and they were telling me about their life and like how they connect to it. I'm like, ah, aha. And like, you know, mission accomplished. Right. Mm-hmm. Like very, very cool. Um, do you know Jason Isbell? Are you familiar with his work? Right. Yeah. So like, um, right. Um, you know, I, I think I learned about him through an, it, it wasn't his music. It was an interview. It was an interview with Terry Gross on uh, NPR. And I just like listening to him talk about his life and his background and his like struggles as an alcoholic and, and um, like how he met a woman and like, like, and then, and then like he played cover me up and like, I knew like this was a guy who like, like stopped drinking and like found found the person who like kind of saved him and like that song like listening to that song like understanding his background it's like oh my god that is some powerful stuff you know Oof. <laughs> you know was that before or after you recorded this record that was that was before yeah. um but and jason isbell has been like that guy sits on my shoulder and like with a ruler and goes Meh, stupid you know like you know i feel like i'm always comparing my lyrics to i i feel like he's he's like our generations, Dylan, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I think he's, he's the dude in my mind, Mm. you know? So, um, yeah, that, that, that example that he set, uh, and then just like that level of like emotional, like vulnerability that like he demonstrated both in the, in the interview and then, um, just in this incredibly like vivid personal songwriting, huge influence. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you released this record in, 2021 came out in october so you were did you record it earlier in 2021 oh man i think we did it all in in, in 2020 in, in 2020. august 2020 yeah in the middle of the freaking pandemic it's crazy 
so, crazy time to do it. So you were writing a lot of music leading up to that, and you yes. were working hard on that music. Yes. Was this sort of a new? Was there new energy behind your songwriting around this time, or were you yeah. always sort of putting out music and, and pushing? No, I uh, I stopped writing music. Like I I got divorced. And like went through like that whole rigmarole and like everything like leading up to that and after that like also seemed to be like the time I stopped writing. So like I didn't write for three years maybe or like very minimally. I just didn't write like before leading up to and after. I felt like I was just kind of done with with that like part of my life. Um, and uh, it was like early 2020 and like you know like as the pandemic was setting in and I just I realized like I'm about to have a lot of time on my hands I got a lot of stuff in my brain um a lot of stuff to get off my chest um just a lot of time to do it like why don't we pick why don't we dust this off this this could just be the perfect thing um and as, as a teacher like I had as a music teacher I had like nothing to do for months uh, they didn't like you know my principal like it was, it, it was one of the, everyone did the best that they could, but like, there wasn't like a lot of room for me to do my thing. I just, I just had a lot of time and a lot of time alone wasn't necessarily what I need. I needed a project and like, this was the thing. Uh, I don't know what I would have done without it. So I just started like writing hours, hours a day, just really going at it. So there's something therapeutic about this for you. There's something mm. that's self-soothing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, m music in general, bluegrass in particular, like a, a lot of like the repetition, like the shedding, all of that is like very, very therapeutic for sure. But the writing um, and that whole process and like having having a project and having like a place to like put some of this like garbage that I was carrying around was just like paramount for me, you know. It was like just like an incredible like four or five month like burst of like create creative energy um and um catharsis was huge do you still feel like you're in that creative mode yeah so i i, I like, did the record um and then like the creative energy and the interest turned to like like the mixing process um and mastering and just like like kind of like really getting into that in, in a way that i've never been before like a lot of post-production stuff like editing before mixing um and then mixing, I worked with a guy named Dave Cinco, who is like this very, like just wonderful, famous engineer, um, uh, who I'm very, very grateful to for, for doing the record and just, just working with him, long phone calls. So like that, and then like the promotion and like the energy and the interest and the creativity around that, like all just kind of took up my time and that like learning how to play these songs, like the best that I could. Um, to the point where I realized like one day I was like, oh, I haven't written a song in a year. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 we're not doing this again. So pick, picking up writing again and I'm, and I'm back at it, you know. It's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can take this moment to play another tune. And Heck yeah. So this next tune, probably from your record, yeah? I like that idea. You got one you want to do? Let's do Damn Shame. This is uh, the first single. Sounds good. Let's cool, do it. Man. Let's do it. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Good chat. Lead me by the water's edge Next to the Cow Street Bridge Show me some photographs I'd like to know where you've been 
I've been right here Writing the same damn song Using the same four chords I'd show you the melody But I can't seem to nail down the words Oh Lord Don't you know it's a damn shame Empty storefronts on the avenues Damn, I sit it on So we're back. So can you tell us a little bit about that last song? So that was on your on your record uh, on a mm-hmm. Saturday night called Damn Shame. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of that tune? Um, yeah, that's definitely, uh, let's see, rather than telling it as like an autobiographical tale, it's like imagine, a, <clears throat> imagine, you know, you haven't seen someone in a while. 
and uh, maybe you left on not the best of terms. And, like, what would it be like if you guys were to catch up again just to, like, see how you've been? You know, it's written, written sort of, like, from that that kind of frame of mind. Um, and, like, yeah, that, that's, that's, that, 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 I guess, covers the lyrics. I guess maybe they, I hope, I don't know, sort of speak for themselves um, in, in, in that way. Um, what I found, you know, interesting in, the, in the, like, the... The development of that song is like I had like the lyrics were were pretty easy uh, to come by, which is not typical for me. They were just you know that was like a quick a quick write. Um, what was m- you know more interesting uh, in the process was like tempo, which is kind of interesting. It ended up being like about as fast as you know you're gonna you're gonna play a tune, um, and it was just a much slower song. Mm. It was just a much like really? yeah, it was you know. Um, yeah, it was a slower tune. It was like more introspective, and then like I got together with like some of the most hot shit bluegrass players in New York City, and they're like, "What if you like made this a banger?" And I was like, "Okay," and um, it just started like that melody. It just it just all started to like float and feel like it still felt. It, it still to me like feels like like a slow song, like like juxtaposed against like like a freight train moving at you know uh, as high speed as it can you know there's like there's like two lines going the vocal line is very like lilting and then the music just like charge I, I just yeah. I just find that kind of thing kind of interesting you know and now this song is on your record called on a Saturday night and the cover of this record is a photo of you at one of my favorite places in New York City mm-hmm and I know that it's important to you, but I want to give people a little bit more context for how you and I met first, and then we'll get into the story of, of this place and the story of how you came to be playing so much bluegrass music. But you and I met because of bluegrass music, mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit newer to bluegrass music. I've been a fan of bluegrass music forever, but as an electric bass player, um, I explored it on the electric bass a little bit, but uh, I really fell in love with it when I started started playing a lot of acoustic guitar, especially during the pandemic. And I made it a project to really learn how to flat pick. Um, so by the time we were back in New York and everybody's kind of getting back together again, I was eager to get out and play some bluegrass music. And I had been playing with my good friend, Gary Mirabel. Um, and he introduced me to you. He said, Hey, there's this great guitar player who goes to these jams around Brooklyn. There's this great bluegrass jam scene in Brooklyn. And, uh, he said, yeah, I'd love to get you guys together and, and some other friends. So we met at just a jam at, at Gary's house. Um, but I was surprised to find out that you hadn't been playing bluegrass terribly long. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. playing for a few years, yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it, this, is, this is still a relatively new thing for you as well, which was very surprising. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about how you got in, into bluegrass music? Um, yeah, I knew, I think it was... Um, at the end of twenty yeah, twenty sixteen, which is just a weird a weird year, um, I guess for a lot of people for me. I mean my my mom had passed away in addition to all the other weirdness surrounding that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew by the end of the year I, I'd I'd like started to fall away from writing a bit. That was like when the trajectory happened, but I knew like I still wanted to stay connected to music and I just like found like this overwhelming like need to like dig my heels into like a style because I'd always like you know been like a songwriter like finger picking introspective tunes um loved like folk and R&B um that world but I never like really studied like a genre and I just thought like I want to get into a folk style and I was really interested in Irish traditional music and I thought about like 
just like really, I just wanted to sit in a circle like at a bar, like with a beer and like play a bunch of tunes that like everybody in the circle knew and like anyone who wanted to listen could come listen. But like, I just wanted to like that. I just wanted to know what that was because I just like standing on the outside, it just seemed like pure bliss to me. Like I wanted to know. Um, and it was either between that or like bluegrass, which I was also like, you know, cause I'd like been a fan of Norman Blake and Tony Rice for a long time. And I, and I knew that like, that was like another situation where people just kind of got together with this common like vocabulary of music and like just, you know, sat and played for each other. Um, and just, I, I wanted to know what that was. Um, so I actually was, um, in Sonny's at like in late 2016 and like the, this incredible bluegrass jam happens every Saturday night and it's just like the most magical thing ever. Yeah, I'm just going to interject for a second. So Sonny's is the bar that's on the oh, yeah. cover of on a Saturday night. So yes. Sonny's bar in Red Hook. Yes, Continue. that's that's the one. So I was there. Uh, I'd been there a couple of times. I'd seen this jam and never participated. Um, I brought my guitar this one night, but I wasn't going to get up there because I was chicken. And I remember my friend Sarah looked at me and she said, Mike, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I was like, okay, that's <laughs> fair. So I got up there and I, like, I, I led a song. I didn't know. Like I don't even think I had a pick. But I just like led like I think I, I must have done you ain't going nowhere like a three chord. I didn't even know how to like tell people to take solos. I, I didn't know how to like lead a bluegrass orchestra, which is pretty much what this is. But I knew that like standing on stage with those people, like singing that song that everybody knew, and just that feeling of community, um, it, it just like it just like touched a nerve, and like I just knew like I had to get into this style. And once I decided that, it, it just became like very, very quickly kind of a all-consuming passion. What do you think it was about that jam? It sounded like, it sounds like you were looking for something like that. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. exploring Irish music and there's such a community around these types of music. It's, it's a music where, yes, the individual has a voice, but you're really continuing a tradition. You're continuing a folk tradition, or in the case of bluegrass, you're really part of an ensemble. Yeah. And in, in that Sonny's Jam in particular, you mentioned it being sort of an orchestra of bluegrass mm. musicians. And that's true. There's, at times, 30, 30 yeah. musicians and 22 like, of them are guitar, guitar players. Player. Yeah, exactly. There's like how many sets of strings. Um, and it sounds like chaos. But yeah, the there is some, chaos. Yeah. there's something special about it, right? Ooh. So what, what do you think it was for you that felt so special about it? Um, I, think, I think part of it was the idea of like a, a performance where like it's not just about like one person in the lead and people supporting, but like some, something about like a circle or a clump or like people like taking turns, um, being featured, but like all together now, like so something about like that all together now spirit, like really fascinated me. Um, and I, you know, that was very, very clear and apparent at Sonny's. Um, but other elements of the music, like one, as I started to like look into it more became very, very interesting. Like it's, it's a very simple music in a way. Um, but it requires an incredible level of virtuosity to play at like a professional level. So I thought that was interesting. Like there's a, like, there's like this real democratic principle to it where like anybody can sit down and play. You can sit down next to like, you know, at a jam like this, some like world-class musicians and some beginners and like everybody is invited to participate in this. Um, but there's also like a context in which you can sit down with people who really know what they're doing and like perform, you know, and play at this like elevated level. Um, and it becomes like, like a conversation, like a jazz type conversation mm -hmm. where there's a real like interaction between players when you get to that level of like sophistication. 
um, that I also found like really compelling and not, not something that I'd experienced in my musicianship before. I wanted to know what that felt like. I think that is sort of a character of the bluegrass music from my perspective as well, which is that there's a community element kind of built into the music itself. It's, yeah. it goes, it goes back to the very beginning. And, um, again, I'm newer to the bluegrass world than you and, and most other people into the bluegrass mm. world. But, um, you know, the story of the festivals and the, yeah. the, the parking lot picking and, and the campground picking and just this, this vibe of inclusivity and, you know, welcome, come be a part of this I whole scene. Yeah. And I know that, you know, from my experience in music, it's, it can be incredibly cutthroat. This whole thing can be so difficult. And there are yeah. entire styles of music that are like, if you can't cut it, like you're offending everybody by even showing your face, you know, like Sounds don't even like a, like a certain jazz jam to me, perhaps. Yeah. I, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think there are elite bluegrass jams where, For sure. but I still think that the vibe is a little bit more inclusive and for sure. And that's not to take any, anything away from jazz. Jazz is a wild, a, a wide world and there's lots of great people and empowering right. people in that world. But and I can, I, I can also respect just like to interject. Yeah. Like, someone who's like really studied like a blue, the beauty of bluegrass is like if you know three chords you can hang yeah it doesn't really apply to jazz right. so like someone who shows up with a guitar and is like i know three chords like is that that isn't that isn't <laughs> quite as cool like at a jazz jam right right and just the culture of like these are sometimes you know children's songs like yes. they're songs that we grew up singing you know For i've sure. been working on a railroad and yeah this land is your land and yeah. you know but they're serious songs and and it's part of our cultural heritage, you know. It's part of what it means to be an American. It, it's they're built built into the fabric of our. That's right. Culture. It's an American. It's an American art form. Yeah. Yeah. It really like uniquely, um, awesomely American. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I personally found that connection to a tradition very refreshing, mm -hmm. especially after just spending years you know, I, like you, not really having a genre of my own, mm -hmm. playing a lot of music and playing all sorts of different styles of music and kind of priding myself on the ability to play lots of different styles of music. I don't know about you, but, mm -hmm. you know, being a guy who can play Guns N' Roses, as you right, say, or, right. or soul or, or folk music, it's some, it, you know, it was always a goal of mine. But at, after a while, you know, to be grounded in something like bluegrass, yeah. where it is something that you can really get grounded in. It's something where there are kind of hard edges to it. There are people pushing it into the jazz world, into the chamber music world, into the rock music world. Yeah. There, there are all these great people doing, like stretching the genre, but there's also the hard edges of, of this is the vocabulary and That's this right. is the repertoire. And yeah. You could spend a lifetime just learning fiddle tunes. That's right. You know? that, that, that's right. Yeah. And the beauty of like, sitting down with people who like have similar like interests and passions like what we did when when we all sat down with with Gary um and Pablo and just like you know we hadn't played together ever but like you know we all knew the same tunes and like we just you know were able to participate in like this beautiful like conversation you know and to me like you know as a songwriter like and that's a beautiful world um but that's like, a, this, these are my songs, and like I'm hiring you to play this, and I'm hiring you to play this. You know, it's just a very different kind of music making yeah. um, here, you know. Um, 
and yes, uh, you know, when, once I got a taste of it, I was like a goner man, you know. And so you fell deep into the bluegrass world through Sunnies, through that jam. Yeah. Were there any yeah. other jams that you were going to that were important? Yeah. Um, Steve Scholar invited me to a Strong Rope Jam. Did you ever go to the Strong Rope Jam? I have been. I have been there, and I know Steve pretty well. He's oh, right on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was actually the. I think even um, I think a- after that first like encounter, like encounter with like the Sunnies Orchestra. Um, Steve invited me to participate in, in the Strong Rope Jam, which was a really, like, beautiful, low-stakes, um, like, everyone's welcome to the table kind of an environment. And, th- and that's really, like, the first jam I sat down with, like, a flat pick and, like, started to make sense of, like, what all, what that what that all meant. <laughs> in terms of the technique. Yeah, and you know, and, yeah, like, how to make it, yeah, work with it. Yeah, I just hadn't, you know, hadn't even touched it. Um, and then, like, immediately, like, I got, like, I, you know, I got into lessons with Michael Davis, who's like the, like New York City's like premier blue, bluegrass instructor um, on guitar. I mean, he's just an absolute ferocious monster. And uh, like, I just, yeah, just hit it real hard, you know. And so you started taking lessons with Michael Davis, mm-hmm. what, 2016, 2017? 2017, yeah. yeah. And that changed everything, you know. And you just, you just really leaned into the bluegrass? I did, I did, you know really really deep you know um and just yeah i kind of kind of got up and running and then within a year i was i was teaching the music which is you know now in retrospect kind of silly but you know i was teaching the music to kids within a year um at the brooklyn conservatory of music um now i feel a lot more comfortable doing it but initially i was like i think i know how to do this okay everybody but like um it was a great learning experience for me and hopefully for the kids um, but like, it just kind of like entrenched me even more in this world, you know, it was like, this is like becoming a part of my identity in a really big way. And now you're sort of entrenched in the bluegrass scene here in Brooklyn. Um, I've seen you play with your group, um, and you're playing with just killing players and you're a killing player yourself. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a pretty small, from what I can tell, a pretty small scene, mm-hmm. um, but a thriving scene and a real yeah. scene. And it's, it's really something to see. So. Um, how does it, you know, how was that transition from sort of being an outsider to sort of being more of an insider in this scene? How was that transition for you? Um, yeah, I'm still, still trying to like work my way in, you know, it's, it's tricky having like a day job. Um, like it prevents me from, um, participating in some of, I feel like the iconic, like weekly jams, like the Monus jam on Monday night, like I've only been to once. Um, so like in, in a way, like I've, you know, trying to like find my way, you know, around, but also like I have like li- just, just like real life limitations. Um, but like when I can get out there and play with like the heavy hitters, like you and like, um, Caesar, um, and some of these other cats, it's just like, I like jump on it, man, you know? And I just, I just learn a ton every time I do it. One thing I find interesting is like this idea that you didn't just find the genre of music. You already sort of into, as you said, Norman Blake and Tony Rice, yeah, who, no. you know, We've, we've bonded over how much we love the two of them. Um, but there's another element to finding that scene, perhaps. It's, it's a real scene, and it's a, there's something about finding a music scene that you can climb, and that if you work hard, there are rewards that you can get. You can now be included in this jam, or perhaps you know, you'll impress this person, or maybe you'll be able to play with this person. Right. Or, that idea of climbing a scene, do you think that was important motivation for you to, to push forward as well? I think, like, uh, eventually it became, like, when I realized that, like, this was becoming, like, the so- the songwriting thing was, like, kind of falling to the wayside, and it just became, like, a very, um, 
like intense interest in like developing my like abilities as a guitar player. I think like initially, like rather than like kind of like climbing, it was just like being able to hang in there. Um, and like, if I'm being perfectly honest, I feel like that really is sort of where I'm still at. I just feel like I'm able to do it a little bit better now. Um, it's just like the, the level of like technical skill required is just like, it's just tremendous to like really be able to like play at these tempos, um, and like know all the tunes. Um, and when I'm like playing with, you know, guys who are, who are doing this all the time, um, I feel like like faking it till you make it is like still where I'm at. But I feel like I'm just kind of always like getting a little closer to like, well, like really my, my, my goal here is not, not to be like the most like hot shit dude in town. Cause that's never going to happen, but it's going to be like, it's going to be like someone who can really like play this music, like proficiently, like at a, at a pro level, you know, like I would love to like feel like I can really do that. Um, you know, that's what I'm shooting for. In this love of bluegrass music, it's clearly influenced your songwriting as well. Yeah. So are you still primarily writing bluegrass music? Do you think of it as writing bluegrass music or do you just think of applying the genre to the songs you're yeah, writing? Yeah, it's always been like, you know, like take, taking taking like lessons from the genre and like from like working with the flat pick. So like um, a lot of what I do um, and what I've learned from like players like Norman Blake is like, playing melodies and like mixing melodies with like strumming so that you can sort of like accompany yourself or like accompany another player in an interesting way. Like that whole vocabulary of, of working with the pick um, and like all the different techniques that I've, I've learned has become like a really, has become fused with my songwriting almost to the point where like uh, I started writing something last night and I was like, this is a finger picking song. Am I still allowed to do that? Or like, is that like no longer my identity or something like that? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I gotta, rem I gotta like let the song lead me, like we were saying before. And I feel like this song requires like no pick, mm -hmm. so that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean like I'm not like a bluegrass artist. I mean, you know, I'm a songwriter, and I use these techniques to like, like help me get across whatever it is I'm trying to get across. That's great, Mike. Um, one question I like to ask is: Is there, was there anybody? who did something very kind for you as you were coming up in music, like in music specifically, is there anyone who, who did something that stands out as, as particularly kind? Damn. Um, uh, I'm thinking, um, I want to like think back because I think that's like more interesting. Um, I remember, all right, my friend Dave Coker is this like, absolute hot shit New York City blues guitar player. Um, he's just a crushing player. And I was 18 at NYU and um, like homesick as hell for my home, like right across the river in New Jersey and like ready to like quit and go back home or like go to a local, like community college or something. I, I was just lonely. It was just like my first semester. It was a drag. And it was a time in New York City where they weren't really carting. Uh, I was just like walking around the streets of like lower Manhattan, lonely and sad. And uh, I heard like this just shredding guitar playing come out of a place called the Baggot Inn. So I walked down the stairs and like this guy was playing and he just said like, hey, does anybody in the audience want to come up and play uh, drums? I was like, yeah. And I sat down and played drums, like, and, and I was like, here I am, 18, playing drums in a bar in New York City, like, like, shoot me, like, this is the greatest thing in my life. And, like, that absolutely, 
was like a world changing moment for me. I was like, I am staying in New York City. I am like, like I love music and like I love, I, I want to like get into the scene. I want to like play at bars. I want to like be around the musicians. I want to, you know, and it was just like an incredibly generous thing for him to be like, come on up and play, man. Like, you 18 know, like year old kid an 18 year old who really had no business, you know. Um, and yeah, I don't think he or I really realized that like that was like a very profound moment in my life. Yeah. Somebody taking a chance on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Just giving me a little opportunity and I'll never forget it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is New York still a character like that for you? Is New York still a place that is really inspiring to you? That's very aspirational for you? I think so. I mean, you know, my, my record cover is a picture of like my favorite bar here. I, I probably, you know, I'm trying to think in the lyrics to this last record, how many times I like, I mention like locations in Brooklyn around the city. It just seems to be like, a, it figures like pretty heavily into like my imagery. Um, it's definitely, you know, still a big part of who I am. And you grew up just outside of the city, yeah? Jersey. Yeah. North Jersey. Yeah. North Jersey. And so when you were a kid, did you come into the city and check out music? Uh, yeah, but not, not like the way I could have or should have, you know. Um, I wasn't like a naughty kid getting on the train, like, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, the 7-Eleven guys. I, I wish, but no, I wasn't that hip, yeah. you know. But like by the time I, you know, got here and went to school, I started to make up for lost time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty inspiring place to live. Oh, you know? yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was thinking... I wanted to take some guitar lessons like last year, so I just called up Grant Gordy. Do you know Grant? Mm -hmm. Right, I, I was, not personally, but I'm, right. I'm a fan. Yeah. You know, and it was like I just walked to this guy's house. This guy's like got to be like one of the best guitar players on the country, probably. And I'm like, I'm just sitting. You know, I mean, like a guy lives like 15 minutes away by foot from me. You know, it's like th that's that's the power of New York City. Like that's you're New just, York. you know, you're just like in it. You know, yeah. you're yeah. in it. I've had similar experiences where right? I was like, man, I, I know that this bass player is here in town. Like. I'd love to reach out and get a lesson from him, and yeah. lo and behold, I can just walk to his house. That's right. It's unbelievable. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that that's the, that's the beauty of this thing. You know, yeah, I lived down the corner from Bar Bass, like world-class music, which is like, it's just like 600 yards away from my door. Yeah. And yeah. it's basically the size of a closet in, yeah. the, in that room, and that's it's just right. the most amazing music. And just the most amazing music, man. Yeah, cool. So I'm going to... We're going to wrap it up soon here, and we're going to play a, a final tune. Okay. But I gotta, I'm going to hit you with a few rapid-fire questions, if that's cool. I'm ready. You don't have to go too rapid-fire if you don't want to. Yeah. But, um, what is something about... What is something that you believe about music or something that music does for you that you think you're sort of all alone with, that you think you're sort of unique or that other people don't share this idea about music with you? Is there something that... Is there some relationship to music that you have that you think is kind of unique? Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, the first thought I have is just like my relationship with like creativity. Um, everybody has their own like order of operations, their own way of working with the muse and like with the craft. I guess like, what's unique to me is just, it's just like my own way, like my own relationship, you know, like you have yours. Um, yeah. Like my own like relationship with that, with that creative part of myself. Like I, I just, you know, it would be so interesting to get into someone else's head and know what that felt like for them. But I feel like for me, you know, I have my own flavor. Right. That, that has to be unique, right? If yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you didn't learn it from anyone else. You just figured it out. Yeah. You know, and it, and like, yeah, it just is 
yeah, um, the, one of the most interesting relationships in my life, you know, is like this thing, this muse, this creativity. Can you talk a little bit about what that process is like for you? Like, what is it like to write a song or, or how, how do you pull it out or how do you, how do you yeah. get there? To yeah, that final uh, song? actually, well, so like, well, so like last night, this was interesting. I created a, uh, a playlist of like vibe ideas. Like I went through a Spotify mm. playlist that I like. Uh, indie indie bluegrass. Like that, that's what I write, you know. Like and I just like would listen to like fifteen seconds of a tune, and if I liked like the first fifteen seconds as like a vibe, I save it to this playlist. Do that over the course of months, and then the other day I just like put something on shuffle play, and like it gave me a tempo, and it was like, okay, and like uh, I think it was a one, major two, four chord progression. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, cool. I haven't like dealt with that in a little while, so I started like picking on that. Um, and like that changed pretty quickly, but like it gave me the impetus to start, um, to start something. Um, so that's sort of been like an interesting kind of new thing for me. It was like, let's just like springboard off of, you know, just like get a little taste of something and follow it. Um, and then like that actually, like the song that I was working on yesterday is, is a very, very quick song for me. Um, cause like lyrics just kind of occurred to me quickly. Um, melody occurred to me quickly and it might be a piece of junk, but like, you know, I often find that like the songs that come quickest tend to be the best. Um, this one wasn't a fight. You know, the first song that we played was a fight. Hmm. Um, I fought that one. I fought that one. I, I fought to keep that one simple, and I and I, I lost to a degree, I suppose. This one, um, I think it just is what it is, which could be cool. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, next question: um, What has been your biggest failure in music? Do you have a do you have a failure that sticks out? Um maybe like not being tenacious enough when I was younger to like believe that like what I had what I was doing had real value and like not being able to stare down like the lack of interest that I perceived. Um I think maybe if I'd had a little bit more grit um and stuck with it a bit more it might have ended up being a career um or uh, it might have ended up being I, like I, I hesitate to say that only because I really like what I'm doing now and it has health insurance. Um, but uh, it might have ended up being like uh, a more vibrant uh, part of like I, I might have helped generate income. There might have been like more listenership, which I would have really loved. Um, I think if I and, and I, I still feel this in my life, if I'm like willing and able to like stare down like what I perceive as like a closed door, you know, um, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just at, at some point you just figured out that you just got to believe that it's valuable, that, that what you're doing is valuable. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm like always like learning that lesson. I'm working yeah. on it, you know? Um, but I, I feel like I'm coming closer to that, you know, Yeah. for sure. Are there any non musical inspirations for you that you feel have been like very instrumental and, uh, influencing your, your musicianship? Uh, meditation, probably, um, yeah, like, try, trying to find some stillness and composure, um, feel like actually those, like, those ideas, like, have filtered in, into, like, the lyrics, um, yeah, they they always, like, seem to be kind of nudging me, saying, don't, don't forget me, like, this is something that you've learned recently, share it, you know, it's, it has value. Is there, is there any, um, teacher or book that, has been particularly inspirational? Uh, let's see. Um, Joseph Goldstein, um, 
is a really interesting um, writer and like uh, um, I, I feel like he was one of the first um, like Americans to, to bring over like like the art of meditation from the East. Um, I really actually like Sam Harris's meditation app. He's an interesting and provocative like thinker and uh, but I, I think when it comes to like his approach to meditation, it's pretty fantastic. Mm. Um, and oh my gosh, what was that book that we just read? Uh, everything uh, things fall apart. Things fall apart by Pema Chodron. That's right. Yeah, so, it's fantastic. <laughs> so the re- <laughs> the reason I knew exactly what he was thinking was yeah. because he recommended Things Fall Apart, fall apart yeah. by Pema Chodron to me, and I read it and loved it. So. Yeah, I read it like four times. Yeah, because <laughs> Things Fall Apart. What the hell? Great. Yeah. Great, Mike. Um, Okay, so we'll wrap it up here. In one final question, why do you play music? Man, I don't know what else I would do. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have this. Um, it seems like it is embedded in my DNA. Like there's a need, you know, a need, a need to do it, an itch that has to be scratched. You know, um, <coughs> and if I don't scratch it, um, I don't know, I'd lose my mind. Is there a spiritual component to music for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely feel like I get closer to like understanding um, or like communing with, participating in some kind of dialogue with, like whatever whatever it is that put everything in motion. Uh, if that makes any sense, the pri- the prime mover like this is as close as you know I- I've come you know in like some of these moments and some of these moments of creativity and um, like just just um, like feel sometimes it feels like confession I suppose you could say uh, sometimes it feels like yeah com- communion um, uh, sometimes it feels like I'm like yeah just I mean people talk about just being like a uh, a channel or a conduit for something that they didn't come up with. I understand that feeling too. Um, yeah, I've definitely had some of the most profound experiences in my life writing and playing. And it's those experiences that feel very spiritual to you. Yeah, I think that's the only only word I could use to describe it. Do you feel that that, that those experiences are something that you can conjure at will just by playing music, or do you feel like it's something that happens? sort of by chance as you're doing music, as you say, writing music, practicing music, or performing music? Yeah, I think, you know, there are plenty of times where, like, it's not that, you know, uh, for sure. Um, but, like, when it is that, I mean, those those things are part of what keep me coming back, you know? It's like, it's like golf, you know? Hell yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I'm no golfer, but I have hit a couple of good shots and That's it keeps you right. coming back. It right? keep, keeps you coming back, man. That putt from like 30, 30 feet out. Yep. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for being on the show. Dude, uh, I really appreciate me. your time. This was a great conversation. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, can you tell everyone where they can keep up with you? You got some social media? You got Yeah, some come and say hello. So when I do this sort of thing, I go by the name J.M. Clifford. So you can go to J.M. Clifford Music dot com and that'll lead you everywhere else you need to go and you've got a new record pretty new record uh-huh. last it came out the end of last year called on a saturday night which is just beautiful it's just great i really recommend everyone check it out and you have a couple other records i do under my real name mike clifford um i've got some other stuff out there great yeah. but jm clifford is where people should go jmclifford.com mm-hmm. 
you got Instagram, you got you got all this stuff. So you can find him there. Um, make sure you you check out what Mike's up what Mike's up to because he's uh he's a he's a really great voice here in New York City, and I'm I'm glad to know him. Thanks, so brother. we're gonna close it out with one final tune. You wanna tell him a little bit about this tune? And we gotta play some whiskey before breakfast. Um, it's a great fiddle tune. One of the first fiddle tunes I learned. Probably, t- probably the first tune you and I played together. Oh, I'm sure. Um, you know, I've taught this to my students. Of course, I call it ice cream before breakfast and what I do with them. That's great. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go with uh, Whiskey Before Breakfast. Thank you.